0: Welcome to the State of Strata. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a full service EMR for physical therapy and occupational therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, I'm joined by Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, and we'll be diving into the state of healthcare billing, what Strata has been up to over the last 12 months, and Paul's top three priorities for the next quarter. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. So, Paul, let's start off with kind of a fifty thousand foot perspective of what's going on in the the industry right now, and then we'll kind of go back and, and look at Strata in the last twelve months.
1: The thing about like macroeconomics is nobody ever thinks it applies to them until all of a sudden it really does. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean by that is, is that at the fifty thousand foot view, what's changed today versus what was happening, let's say six months ago or a year ago, is the fact that inflation is up. Across the country, and overall amount that you get paid per payer per code is going down. So to say it a different way, if we were standing in front of a a whiteboard right now and drawing out a little a little chart over time, basically the amount of money you get paid by insurance payers is going down every year. About one and a half to two percent a year is what it kind of averages out to. And then the uh, so you would draw that line, kind of that downward sloping line on that chart. And then the other thing happening is inflation's going up. So, you know, what used to be 2% a year is right now, depending on who you talk to, somewhere between 6 and 8%. And again, these are macroeconomic issues. Most people don't think they apply to them until they do. So as an example, most providers in our industry can directly feel the impact of payer reimbursement amounts going down. That that one5 to 2% number that I mentioned, like, If you were getting paid, let's call it $100 for a certain thing last year, and you're getting paid $98 for the same thing, you can acutely feel that. That's not a surprise to most people. I think if you ask most practice owners that have been in business for at least two or three years, if not more, they will openly tell you like, oh man, it's tough. It's getting harder and harder, you know, and here's what we're doing to make up for it. The other line, the the inflation line is much more impactful now because, you know, look, if... If your employees were asking for like a one percent or two percent raise and and accepting that a year ago it's hard for them to accept that now you know like it's it's hard to look at the fact that a mortgage at the time of this recording is like around seven percent whereas you know three years ago it was two (laughs) you know and so what are your employees going to do they're absolutely going to ask you as a practice owner to give them a raise and so now if you draw out that chart on that whiteboard that i just mentioned what you can see is those lines are squeezing you. Like in the middle of those two lines is the practice. So you're getting squeezed on the top line by the payer reimbursement and you're getting squeezed on the bottom line because of micro, uh, macro uh, economic stuff like inflation. So that's like the big thing that's happening. You know, it's it's not something that, again, people think about until all of a sudden it, it, it hits them. And I would be lying if I didn't say that's a big part of the wind in our sails right now as a company is that, you know, people were comfortable with a 60 or 80% reimbursement rate until the, all of a sudden they weren't and all of a sudden now it's like oh i need 99% i need 99.9%.
0: Let's back up for a second and and we just explain how this industry is so different from from anything else in terms of those reimbursement rates and what the kind of industry standard is versus the strata standard.
1: Okay, so the way i explain our business to my non-healthcare friends is this. Imagine you had a coffee shop. Let's just pretend you owned a coffee shop. The reality is, is that if you owned a coffee shop and you sold 10 cups of coffee, imagine if only six of those customers paid you, and of those six that paid you, they could pay you almost anything they wanted that in of itself right there should make you uncomfortable because that's not acceptable. Like you and I, if we went into a Starbucks or a Pete's or whatever coffee shop, and we were one of the four people that walked out of there without paying, the cops would show up and we'd get arrested, (laughs) you know, or, or if we paid some random amount, you know, we, especially if it was lower than what, what, what the coffee shop accepted, we'd probably get arrested. But, you know, somehow in the healthcare industry, it's above all of our pay grades, but Somewhere somebody said it was okay to have this like nebulous thing called revenue cycle management, which is basically a fancy term for how doctors that accept insurance collect that money from the insurance payer. And I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist or like you know some other you know Yahoo on the internet, but you know, the business we're in gives you a really perspective a really interesting perspective on sort of what what's really happening. I think that if you were to turn on the nightly news right now, I don't care what you listen to—CNN, Fox, whatever you listen to—it doesn't matter. Inevitably, you will eventually come across some story about the rising cost of healthcare. Da da da. And almost always, it's implied—not not explicitly said—but almost always, it's sort of implied that it's because of those air quotes greedy, greedy doctors that are just making all this money hand over fist and driving around, you know, five hundred thousand dollars sports cars. That couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> like, could not be further from the truth. The, the reality is, is that, you know, these doctors go off to school for, in some disciplines, five, eight, ten years, sometimes more. And uh, so they put in all this work. They probably get into a lot of debt to do that. And then they come into this industry where the amount of money they can make is actually capped. It's actually defined by the insurance payer. And if you don't believe me, you just go to the doctor, give them your insurance card, wait six weeks and wait for the explanation of benefits, the EOB to be mailed to you. And you'll almost always see a line at the bottom there that says something like insurance adjusted rate. So it's like whatever rate the doctor charged for their time. And then there's a discount and then it's whatever rate the insurance company paid you. So, so imagine going back to this coffee example, it's like, imagine the coffee shop owner says, this is a $4 cup of coffee and you just slap a dollar down on the table and you're like, well, that's cool. I just think it's worth a dollar and you just walk out. (laughs) We could never do that in in that example, but somehow in healthcare, that's normal. So this industry is a little different or a lot different than most I've ever seen before. And again, I don't wanna sound like some crazy conspiracy theorist, but like the deeper you get into it, the easier it is to see how different this is. Like, There's a lot of stuff that happens in the healthcare payment, reimbursement world that would be wholly unacceptable in any other industry. One more example, sorry, because I get, I get hot on this topic. Like, if I hire a plumber for my house, let's just say I hire a plumber to fix a toilet in my house and I don't pay them. It's generally accepted, doesn't matter whether you're in Tennessee, Virginia, Texas, wherever, it's generally accepted that that person or company if they can prove to the court that they had a contract and that you didn't pay it it's generally accepted that they can put a lien on your home they can literally prevent you from selling it it's almost like it's almost like if you don't pay your um child support you know well you know we know that the the they can garnish your wages like we know that right but but somehow that's not applicable here like you know payers can essentially agree to any rate they want and it doesn't have to be you know whatever the provider thinks so I know there's reasons for this, but I think that more people are being harmed because of this than than are being helped. And that's that's the problem.
0: And for most PTOT clinics, they're getting paid, what would you say, 80% at best of what they're actually owed?
1: I always hesitate at using phrases like always and never. But if we're talking about trends here and you look at sort of the the clients that tend to switch over to us every month, that sort of thing one of the benefits of what we do is we can kind of see what they were dealing with in the weeks and months prior to coming over to us. And yeah, generally speaking, regardless of whether they were doing the billing in-house with their own team or they had some other competitor do it, they're usually sitting somewhere between a 60 and an 80% reimbursement rate. So you bill, let's just say you bill $10,000 for the month, they're collecting somewhere between six and $8,000 a month eventually. So. Yeah. 60 to 80% is about what we're seeing in terms of trends. Yeah.
0: Let's kind of go back and look at the the last 12 months of Strata. It hasn't, when this recording comes out, it'll be officially announced, you know, what you've done and what you've kind of taken over here at Strata, but give us the last 12, 16 months, um, from your perspective. And and then we'll kind of jump into where Strata is going over the next uh, quarter or so.
1: Well, keep me honest here. Um, in broad strokes, The second half of 2022 was really about looking inwards. You know, who's on our team? What do we do? How do we do it? How does the technology work? Where are the gaps? It was really just kind of, I sort of describe it as walking through a a, a minefield and just picking up every rock, looking under it, and then putting that rock back carefully (laughs) and just making a big list. And that exercise sort of helped guide, you know, not only an understanding of where we've come from, but also what we needed to fix. And um, to summarize, what was clear was that we needed to uh, recruit heavily, you know, and this is not a reflection against anyone or anybody on the team, but I, I I think the entire team would agree that we needed to build out a much more diverse, broad, bigger engineering team. So that's a huge component of it. We needed to uh, recruit some sort of marketing function and team to to help us also spread the word about it. And across the organization, we also needed to kind of simplify or articulate or at least define processes. Like the the company went from like essentially one person to all of a sudden twenty five people, then all of a sudden to thirty five. You know, we're just just keeps growing and faster and faster. So that so the last half of twenty twenty two was just looking inwards. If we started the recruiting at that point the i would say the first quarter of 2023 was about talking to as many clients as we could so i you know it's not maybe the sexiest thing in the world but between me and 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 Jessica and Adam on the team we just scheduled daily calls with as many clients we could get on and and the long and short of it is the question i would ask all of them is is i don't really care to know what we do well i'd like to know what in your opinion we have not done well and that was, you know, for, for for the first quarter this year, sort of looking at collecting as much information as we could from the clients we already have. The good news about that, by the way, is that it all generally lined up where with the gaps in team were. Like, in other words, a, a lot of the feature requests, for example, kind of got all... There were like five things that were this similar across, you know, 50 clients. And you're like, oh, man, well, that's an engineering thing right there. We need more bandwidth there, right? So So first quarter of this year was really about just then talking to as many clients as we could. I would say that the second quarter then was about you know starting to get a little noisy. So starting to invest in pay-per-click marketing, starting to invest in search engine optimization, starting to invest in marketing and the content flywheel. And yeah, so we're recording this now, I think uh, maybe two-thirds of the way through the second quarter. Pretty soon here, we're going to pull the leadership team together down in Florida at our headquarters to start talking about the third quarter. But if I were to summarize my thoughts on the second quarter, I would say, if nothing else, we have proven that prospects are willing to talk to a company they've never heard of, right? Cause like our lead volume has doubled every month since we started stepping on the gas. And I think on the other side of this, it's also, this, uh, this quarter has also proven that we need to get even noisier about what we're doing you know, and I don't mean that in any selfish way, I, I, I sort of mean that, you know, from our perspective as a company, I know we can, I mean, our data is our data, right? Our data shows that we can empirically collect 99.999578, uh, whatever the sixth digit is past the n- decimal point, we know we can do that. And look, selfishly, I do want more and more of the clients to switch to us. But realistically, I just want them to know that that's possible. So a lot of the content that we're starting to ramp up now, both written, video, audio, whatever, is really more about pushing this narrative publicly that you deserve every dollar you've worked, because that's the minimum standard we expect in every other industry. It surely should also be part of healthcare. And hopefully you'll come do it with us, but even if you don't, hold hold your current staff or your current provider to the same standard. And uh, that's, that's essentially going to be what we head into Q3 with, so.
0: And that last point, Paul, there's a real misunderstanding that 80% is good, or that you, you know, if you're in 80 to 85 or 70 to 80 percent, that's as good as it gets. And I think that's what we that's where you and I kind of talk about breaking that stigma of picking it way better than you deserve more than 80% of what you're what you're billing here.
1: I like to joke about this and I'm like, whoever the PR person is for revenue cycle management probably needs to get paid a couple billion dollars because somehow they've convinced everybody that 80% is okay. Like my three-year-old that walks down the sidewalk, if if he sees a penny, he's gonna pick it up, <laughs> you know? Like, he, knows, he even at three, he sort of knows like, hey, this penny is worth something. It's worth more than the zero pennies I have right now, right, but somewhere in the healthcare industry, whoever it is that has figured this out has somehow convinced everybody that collecting eight out of every $10 is acceptable, or collecting six out of every $10 is acceptable that's the mission is this sort of explaining to people that that's just not acceptable and yeah i have a vested interest in us benefiting if more people buy into that but i genuinely don't care if you use us or not as long as you get every dollar that you that that you work on um that you earn because you know the flip side of this by the way the thing that people listening to this can unfortunately never really see is i've been on my fair share of sales calls with with uh you know my, my my partner adam These are emotional calls. You know, the difference between collecting 80% versus 99.9 for a lot of practices is the difference between barely keeping the lights on versus being able to give your team raises or take a vacation for a week. I think, you know, all joking aside, people got away with 60 to 80% because when times were good, that was just enough. I mean, you know, we're making money. That's great, you know? And then all of a sudden it wasn't, you know, and and I can't tell you how many people come to us weekly now that are like, Hey, here's my problem. Can we fix it? And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, it's just really a function of how, how important it is to you. Like we can turn you on in one day if you want to. It's truly emotional. I mean, a lot of practice owners are barely making it They're paycheck to paycheck. Here's the thing, by the way, as much as I've been spending the last few minutes telling you all the differences between healthcare and everybody else, let me tell you one thing that is the same. And that is that if you ask 20 healthcare uh, practice owners, if you ask 20 physical therapy practice owners how they're doing, they will inevitably tell you that they're killing it. Oh, we're killing it, we're crushing it, we're doing so well, right? Because if you ask them in a group, nobody ever wants to tell you you know, that things aren't looking so good. But the minute you build a little bit of rapport with them and, and you get them one-on-one, and you're like, Well, no, how's it really going? That's where the emotions really come out. And again, I wish people could be on these calls sometimes. Like, I remember talking to one person or uh, one practice owner down in, in Texas, and um, she's like, Oh, I've been doing this 27 years, and and then she like over the course of a few minutes broke into tears because she's like, But I can barely pay like her front desk person, I think, is like her daughter-in-law, I think. And One of the other front desk people, I think, is like her son, I think, something like that. And she sort of like started to break into this emotional part and eventually started crying on the call because she's like, I haven't been able to pay them their market worth. They help me because they know how important my practice is to me. And I haven't been able to take a vacation in 27 years. And like, we can sit there all day and armchair quarterback that and say, gosh, well, your cancellation rate is this or your, we can, we can give her all, we can armchair quarterback her practice all day long. But the truth is, is that, man, if she was able to actually go from like the 70% that she was collecting to 99, instantly that solves a lot of her profitability problems. Now, if she invests that where she needs to, that, that's a business level metric that hopefully she will do something with. But again, at the at the industry level, nobody wants to admit that they're in trouble. But at the practice level, everybody's a little nervous. And I bet you, you know, and anybody listening to this, like, you don't have to answer me, but my observation of the industry has been that most practice owners don't carry more than three to four pay cycles of cash in their bank account at any given time. So in other words, if they screw up their claims this month, if they don't fix it very quickly, you know, let's say you're, let's just say it takes you 40 days on average for your payers to pay you. Most practice owners can barely survive that for two months. Like two payrolls to four payrolls is basically all the cash they keep in their bank account, and that's because of those thin margins, or I'm sorry, the low collection rates that drive the thin margins, and that's it's it's tragic to listen to.
0: And I think one thing that we're we're fighting on the marketing side at Strata is it's one thing to to say, okay, I want to get my reimbursement rate, you know, to 99%. But I think one of the big things that we are working on is making sure people understand exactly what their reimbursement rate is. There's kind of this misunderstanding of, yeah, I think my reimbursement rate's, you know, X. And then you do a di- little bit of digging, ask a couple questions, and there's no way that it could be X. And so making having practice owners understand and being able to articulate, here's what it is, and then here's what it could be, is a relative challenge because no one wants to admit that they're only collecting 70% of, of what they're truly owned.
1: That's right. And, and also, you know, it also depends on like what time frames you put on it. I could tell you, I mean, I'll make this up. I'll just make this up, right? Like I, I, I could tell you that we collect a hundred percent if the time frame is a hundred years. <laughs> like that's like me saying like, yeah, eventually I'll collect every dollar, <laughs> you know, but like, I think we have to be much more specific about it. Like, I think like I'll give you an example without naming names. A lot of the consultants in this industry, you know, they are, anybody listening to this in the PT space, you know who the big consultants are. And if you dig around a lot of their websites, for example, one of the things they'll say is, it's okay to have 18 to 22% of your accounts receivable longer than 90 days. Meaning, just on average, that means that it's okay to have 20% of your money unpaid for 90 days. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, can you imagine? Like, if if I said to you, "Hey, Thomas, listen, eighty uh, percent of your paychecks are going to be on time. The other twenty percent, by the way, I'll, I'll get to them within a hundred days or so. Maybe, just maybe. I don't know. I, 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 we'll see. We don't accept that on the employment side of things. That's like federally. That's you can't do that, right? But somehow everybody's explained this, or somehow done, you know made this okay. And we say like, well, hey, look. Look, in a perfect world, I'd like that to be zero percent, but there's a lot of things we can't control. But I would say that you're in trouble if you're over seven or eight percent past 90 days. You know, if, if you're above seven or eight percent, we need to look at that really closely and figure out what exactly happened there. Authorization issues, payer issues. I mean, there could be a million things, right? But like red flags should go off way before you end up with 20% of your money unpaid for 90 days or more. I mean, again just using industry parallels here try not paying your credit card bill for 90 days let me know how many calls you get <laughs> you know you know try not paying your insurance premiums try not try to avoid paying your insurance your health insurance premiums for even one day past the due date let me know how many calls you get <laughs> but but somehow it's okay in the healthcare industry you know it's like that's the tragedy of the whole thing
0: i want to go back Paul to the uh, those conversations that you had with uh, all the customers, and then talk about engineering. But from the engineering perspective, you know, one thing that we've talked about internally as team is just the the mobile first design. Talk about just that one small little takeaway and how it's you know going to be a really big game changer for for a lot of our clients.
1: So even before we started talking to the clients, um, one of the things I did early on was uh, started to put instrumentation on everything. So think Google Analytics and that sort of thing. Up until that point that I'm about to describe, we had Google Analytics and, and measuring tools like that on our marketing websites, but we didn't have that uh, sort of reporting on our customer-facing portals. And so I turned it on. You know, we, we put in the code and deployed it and all that stuff, uh, I want to say around December. And almost instantly, what we noticed was somewhere between like 15 and 20% of our daily traffic or usage was coming from mobile phones. Which is fascinating, actually, if you think about it. Our our software is not something that patients use directly day to day. I mean, yeah, there's parts of it they use, but that's not the core use case. The core use case of our product is is that it it helps you manage and operate your practice. So, our users are the practice owner, the doctor seeing patients, the front desk scheduler, the you know the in office uh, manager. You know, like it's all those people that work at the practice that use us, and. Nobody could have told you that 15 or 20% of these people were using their mobile phones. Like, you know, I don't want to throw anybody on our team under the bus, but I think that in hindsight, when we asked everybody internally, like, what do you think the usage is going to be? Everybody said desktop, you know, or laptop, whatever. I mean, the empirical data was hard to refute almost instantly. You could just see, like, you know, and even to this day, you can see it. So the reason that's important is, is that, you know, it was sort of this, this real proof that at our core, we're a consumer company, just like everybody else. Like in other words, most healthcare companies, well, let me rephrase. What I'm about to say applies to healthcare and frankly, every other industry. Most industries are like, oh, we're in healthcare, or we're in this industry, and this is why it has to be this way. But if we've learned anything over the last decade or more of of software as a service, its that like it doesn't matter what you say you are or it doesn't matter how you say you should be used. Ultimately, you're a consumer company. Ultimately, everybody today is a consumer company. Your client, just like ours, is filling out patient documentation on their cell phone while they're sitting in the car pickup line, you know, picking up their kids. And again, we can empirically see this in the data. So, that data point in conjunction with what we heard from the clients was very similar. It was like, hey, look, you know, I wish I didn't have to scroll around as much. I wish I didn't have to like, search for the things that I'm looking for. I wish I could open up multiple tabs. Like, To me, coming from the consumer world, that's, a not, that's, that's like a no-brainer. Like, can you imagine if Facebook said to you, hey, listen, you can only open up in one tab? <laughs> like, like, people would be like, are you insane? But again, healthcare, eh, everything's okay in healthcare you know so I, I maybe i went a little long on your question there but the reality is that you know it, it further proved our point that we needed to augment the engineering team and it took me one step further and this is maybe the the controversial statement where i kind of just said like all product marketing and engineering hires have to come from outside of healthcare eh, look and don't get me wrong like hey if you're listening to this and you're you know in healthcare and you want to join one of our teams hey we'll we'll talk let's talk but Like, on the whole, though, uh, my experience has been that healthcare people coming from inside of healthcare kind of are really good at telling you the 87 ways something won't work, whereas, like, you know, engineers and marketers and whatever that come from outside of healthcare, this is a no-brainer. Like, front-end engineers that come from the consumer world already know that you should be able to have a responsive website that opens up on any device, and it should always load in under two seconds. Like, that is, like a non-starter for the last 10 years in the consumer world and the B2B world. But it hasn't made it to healthcare yet, like on the whole, right? Like I'm sure somebody listening to this will cherry pick and say, well, but Paul, look at this website. Okay, fine. But I would say on the whole, like across the industry, you know, healthcare, I would say is five to 10 years behind what people expect of a consumer website. And so we're recruiting to fix that, you know, at least, at least do our part on that.
0: And the same, same goes with the, with the funnel uh, coming from a non healthcare background. I jump in and, and look at all these B2B healthcare websites and to just, I think one of the most mind blowing things that I came across at the start was first, everyone's obsessed with book a demo as the the phrase, but even beyond that, even if you're okay, book a demo, whatever, if that's the call to action, you know, but that we want to use, you can't actually book a demo. You, you hit book a demo for most of these websites and they make you fill out 10 or 15 different things and then you don't actually get to book it's all right someone will reach out to us and then it takes another day or two for someone to reach out and in the consumer world i mean you're going to lose people like that and i'm sure you know people in healthcare you lose your your customer uh in a snap because you built so much friction but that's again to your point kind of just the standard of, of what we're dealing with here which Coming from consumer and coming from a different world is hard to imagine, right?
1: Yeah. And it's easy for me to armchair quarterback and say, oh, those guys, why do they do it that way? Because we do it that way. At least at the time of this recording, we're doing it that way, book a demo. But the intent here as we roll out the new site in a week or two is to move to something that's more modern. So, you know, I want to respect the fact that like we made, we did it the way that everybody else did it. But to your point though, I think we ought to differentiate ourselves by being, an authentic company that talks like humans, acts like humans, behaves like humans. You know, I I wanna make it about conversations. Like if you look at our sales process, I mean, I think you know this, but just to say it out loud to everybody, we don't have sales, we don't have discounts, we don't have expiring offers. Like, hey, if you sign up by this Thursday or whatever, it's the end of the month, I gotta hit my quote. We don't have any of that stuff. And a lot of my B2B friends, tell me that's a horrible idea. They're like, well, you know, you should have a setup fee and then you discount it to zero to get people to sign up before the end of the month. Like I get why they say that. And I get why that works in B2B sales. But you know, the thing about our business is, is that like, I don't want really want to build it that way. You know, I think that like what we sell here is a, is something that's much more, it requires much more deep trust. Like you don't have to understand healthcare or billing as much as I do or claim to do which you know arguably there's smarter people than me on our team but I would say that like this is like an example of like you know if you're if I'm selling you on something you have to trust me enough to literally hand me your wallet and know that I will take care of that wallet as carefully as as you would and you can see that in our business model I mean everybody knows this but like we don't have any software fees we have no Like there's literally no recurring costs to our software. We just keep a percentage of what we collect, you know? And so if we screw that up, we don't get paid, you know? Now, frankly, if we screw that up, you don't either, (laughs) which is why we have to like do our jobs well and we have to like invest in technology and all that stuff. But anyway, I think, I just wanna say like, you're right. And I don't wanna like, I wanna make sure that people don't think I'm like absolving myself and ourselves of the fact that we also did it that way, you know, for book a demo and all that stuff. But I think the real opportunity here, the real differentiator here is, is to like differentiate via authenticity. If people really want to get into the nuts and bolts of this, like drop us a line and we'll get into a, a deeper episode about this. But for example, I think a lot of companies, at least in the healthcare space, put marketing under sales. So everything's about a discount. Everything's about a demo. Everything's about like this month's quota. Whereas like for us, our marketing function sits off to the side of sales like our sales team obviously needs to to think about like you know how do we talk to as many people as we can and help them where we can and and all that stuff obviously that's as a business we have to do that but from a marketing standpoint we just need to we need to like drive more awareness to the problem like as a byproduct drive awareness to strata but primarily to drive awareness to the problem so what should you get reimbursed? You know, what are the case studies? Like why should you do this? How should you do this? We should give away all of our stuff. Like our marketing strategy, uh, as you know, is really show, don't tell. We're in an industry where everybody says we're the best, we're the best, and we've whatever. For us, it's like, eh, you pick, you decide. but here's all our data. Here's how much money you can make on that CPT code. Here's how much these payers are reimbursing in real time. He, you know, real-time feeds everywhere. You do what you want. If you want to print them out every month and give them to your billing team and say, go work at that standard, to me, that's a win. That's just as much of a win as if you then call us and say, hey, you know, I, you know, I got a great in-house billing team, but man, I don't want to have to manage three, five, ten, you know, vacation schedules, you know, uh, benefits or whatever. Can we move it to you guys? You know, if that's a byproduct that happens, great. But yeah, if we, if we need to do a separate episode on that, I'm happy to, happy to do it.
0: There's definitely a lot, and as we kind of roll out more and more of our data and expose, right? We've got 13 years, 10, 13 years worth of, of data to show. There'll be a lot of questions around it, I'm
1: sure. I think, you know, again, as an aside, and again, if people want to talk about it separately, we totally can, but like, you know, the question I ask myself all the time, for better or for worse, is like, why does the world need another billing company? Right, but you know that, like as an investor, so I've, done, you know, I've angel invested in 3,200 other companies over the last 10, 15 years now. And the fundamental question I ask everybody before we even get to metrics and everything like that is, is why does the world need one more whatever you do, right? And I'll ask that question of us. And the truth is the world doesn't need another billing company. It doesn't need any of these things. But if you sort of connect all the dots that I've sort of alluded to over the last couple minutes here on this, on, on this I think software should be free. I don't think you should be nickel and dimed to death for every feature like yeah that's the way it was always done right like oh you want the bronze plan great this is how much it is oh but if you want seven more users you got to go to the platinum plan and that's this much time. it's just nickel and diming that business model clearly has worked for the last 15 years i admit that i admit that but on the flip side like we're not trying to build the next you know me too you know similar building billing company what we're trying to build is this uh Modern day, like if if I hope that when people look back at Strata from twenty twenty four and beyond, oh no, twenty three. We're in twenty three. I hope that when people look at Strata from twenty twenty three and beyond, what they see is me answering the question of, and us as a team answering the question of, what would a modern day RCM service or billing service look like if number one, it had a deep understanding of today's technology and users. Number two, it had a deep understanding of today's um, um, problems across the landscape. And number three, it had no legacy baggage. In other words, it had no legacy baggage or outside investors to quarterback it. Like our competitors, I would describe as very barbelled, you know, like a gym barbell. On one side of the barbell, you have a lot of what I would call old school billing only companies that let you use whatever EMR you want. And then they have a bunch of duct tape spreadsheets and bailing wire that somehow do all the work and show me anybody that is correctly collecting more than 80% every single month in and out, whatever, show me that, you know, that billing company and I'd love to buy them or sell ourselves to them. I just don't see how you're going to show me that. On the other end of that barbell, you have a couple venture backed big behemoths that are primarily EMR software providers, SaaS providers, uh, that like try to bolt on billing. And, you know, I don't need to name names, but the reality is like the thing that we believe that nobody else would agree with us on is you cannot mix and match billing and EMR. You just can't do it. For another episode someday, I'll tell you the details, but like we used to do it. We used to actually have multiple EMR integrations with our billing backend. Had to turn it off. Because if the EMR is not billing aware, the billing doesn't work. It doesn't matter. So, and conversely, when a payer changes the rules, like, you know, I copied you on that other email today, right? Like when the payer changes the rules, when we deploy that fix, the EMR knows, you know? So we believe EMR should be free. We actually think all the software you use to run your business should be free. And we think that our incentives should be aligned to yours as a a client. You know, like if if you don't make any money because we didn't do it right or we whatever, like we shouldn't get paid.
0: And that's where, just to jump in there a really quick bob, that's where that again another marketing challenge is is the balance between, you know, human-based billing, uh, someone a person who does it and technology-based billing. And you, you can't have a person right who kind of oversees it, but if technology isn't at the heart, it, it's it's incredibly more difficult to to begin with.
1: I might get in trouble for saying this, but here's the thing. People are great. And look, people are a core part of our business. Absolutely. They are. I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with that. Like you have to have people to some extent, but for practice owners in particular, I think the question you have to ask yourself is, is what business are you in exactly? Because the reality is people have to sleep. People need vacation. People need to invest in, you know, continuing education. And so The problem I think for practice owners in particular is that you can't dabble with in-house billing. You have to either go all in or you need to go all out. And when I say all in, it means like anybody that, okay, so I'll just, here's where the controversial statement really will start coming in. If you have one to three people in your company or in your practice that are doing the billing, you are dabbling. Plain and simple, you're dabbling. I don't care what anybody says because the reality is when you have less than three people working on a given problem, they can't work. Unless you have your shift set up, they're probably sleeping you know, eight hours a day. They're probably off eight hours a day. They probably only work Monday through Friday. And the reality is they're probably, just like any other human, trying to always juggle the urgent, like what happened today. So you either need to have like a team of 100, and you can do that. Like We know big health systems do that. Or you need to invest in technology. And, you know, in our case, for example, we're collecting hundreds of millions of dollars for for our clients, and you can see it on the website by the time this thing gets public, like all of our data is public. But at the time of this recording, we're at 30, 30 full-time members on our team. And realistically, by the end of June, probably 32, 33 full-timers. So, and and we're heavily on the engineering side, right? So, so the point is, though, is that I think people need to really ask themselves directly, like, what business are we in here? Because you can't dabble with billing. You could be the best doctors in the world, but if you don't get paid, you're not going to stay in business very long.
0: The last question I got, Paul, and then we'll wrap up is for the next three, four months, give me your kind of top two, three priorities. What's your, what's your main focus on right now?
1: Well, you know, the timing of this question is a little tricky because um, as of the time of this recording, we're pulling the leadership team uh, down to our headquarters next week to really talk about what the third quarter is going to look like. But if you were to ask me, you know, just my my priorities, um, with the caveat that they might get adjusted a little bit after that conversation next week, what I would say is that, like, from my seat, you know, we we really do need to make a bigger splash across the industry. Again, I people might not agree with me on this, but I really truly don't care whether somebody uses us or not, as long as they collect every dollar they uh, they earned, right? So. What does that mean to me? Well, that means that at this time of the recording, you know, caveat might adjust just a little bit next week. I would say that there are three prongs to that that I need to be focused on. The first is we need to really double down on our outbound uh, efforts like pay-per-click, search engine optimization, all that stuff. The second big prong, if you will, is, is really around content strategy, stuff like this, like let's talk about the company more, let's talk about clients, let's just start to crank out content, uh, get it out there. And I would say the third uh, big prong is let's really double down on programmatic data, publishing programmatic data, meaning let's let's create free benchmark reports, real-time dashboards, all that, regardless of whether you use us or not, let's give you resources where you can kind of see everything you want to see, everything you wish you could have known about a practice. Like what are the key metrics of a practice in real time? What are the key metrics of payers right now? What are the key metrics of every CPT code at the state level and the national level? So those three prongs are really about just driving awareness. And um, I would say, I would say personally that I would be surprised if that any of those three come off my plate after this leadership meeting. Um, I think it's inevitable. Like what we're talking about here is inevitable. Like we, I really want us to build the path towards becoming the stripe for healthcare. When you, when anybody listening to this call goes to a gas station and puts in their credit card, that pump disperses gas because that gas station knows that through the magic of Visa or Amex or whatever you use, they know that that money's gonna hit their bank account a day or two later. Like that, that is, it's irrefutable. That's why they give you the gas. Uh, And our intent over the next, you know, couple of years is really about going from where we are now, you know, PT, OT, and speech, nailing that, going real deep in that vertical or those three verticals. But over time, like why not expand broadly? You know, like there's more than just PTs, OTs, and speech therapists that deserve every dollar. Pediatricians do too, (laughs) like, you know, separate discussion for later, by the way, if you ever want to ask yourself why, more and more private practices are selling to big healthcare systems. This is it. It's hard. You're running your business in these like, you know, low margin, really hard environments. You're trained to treat people, not deal with billing. And eventually doctors give up and they sell to the local health systems, which is, which sounds good. I get it. But the overall quality of patient care goes down.
0: And the problem is still there.
1: The problem's still there. Well, well, they, they sort of like remove themselves, like as an aside on a personal note, you know, the guy that does my what do you call it? Like my general practice, practitioner or whatever. I've been seeing this guy since I was born. I'm like 42, like no joke. This guy was like basically there when I was born. You know, he had just graduated medical school and for whatever reason, my parents like went to his practice, you know? And this guy, I love this guy. I see him every every year for my my um, annuals. He's just such a good dude. And I went to go schedule it a couple of weeks ago and I noticed the website had changed and it said, no longer accepting new patients. So like I text him like, hey Gus, uh, why can't I, you know, are you that busy? Like, what's up, man? I've been going to you for 41 years. What's up? He goes, oh yeah, I sold to, and I I won't say the name, but here in Virginia, he sold to a larger healthcare system, five letters, multi-billion dollars, a huge, I was like, Gus, what? Why? He's like, uh, you know, he said something like, you know, like 20 years ago when your parents would come in or something, he's like, I could charge what I needed to charge to pay my staff. And I I didn't have to think twice about it. Like the insurance company would mail me the check in a couple of days, it was fine. He's like, now it's like this cat and mouse game. And he's like, dude, I'm like 55. Is that the game I really wanna play? He's like, I had to sell to, to these guys because they've got like a thousand person billing team. They're a national healthcare system. The insurance companies pay them, they don't pay me. <laughs> and at the end of the day, like his stress level went down. I get it, but so did my care level, you know? So, all right. So how did I solve that? I had to actually text him on the side and be like, Hey man, can I just like pay you on the side? I don't know. And so anyway, but, but it's a, you know, but anyway, long, complicated thing, but all this stuff's interconnected. And I I don't have any illusions that we can like fix the world, right? Like every, I don't want to have that like Silicon Valley grandeur or whatever, but man, if we could like help, you know, 20,000 practices collect 99.99%, man, I feel like I would have done a great job and that's enough for me to like feel good that we've we've positively impacted our little part of the world.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the State of Strata. If you'd like to learn more about Strata and achieving a 99.99% collection rate for your OT or PT practice, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at